The Bible reading this morning comes from Zechariah chapter 7 and 8. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Shariah and Regemelech together with their men to entreat the Lord by asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month, as I've done for so many years? Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seven months for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous and the Negev and the western foothills were settled? And the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. But they refused to pay attention. Stubbornly they turned their backs and covered their ears. They made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. So the Lord Almighty was very angry. When I called, they did not listen. So when they called, I would not listen, says the Lord Almighty. I scattered them with the whirlwind among all the nations where they were strangers. The land they left behind them was so desolate that no one travelled through it. This is how they made the pleasant land desolate. The word, of the, Lord, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. This is what the Lord says. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. This is what the Lord Almighty says. It may seem marvellous to the remnant of this people at that time, but it will seem marvellous to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the countries of the east and the west. I will bring them back to live in Jerusalem. They will be my people and I will be faithful and righteous to them as their God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. Before that time there were no wages for people or hire for animals. No one could go about their business safely because of their enemies since I had turned everyone against their neighbour. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as I did in the past, declares the Lord Almighty. The seed will grow well, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. 
Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, I, so I will save you and you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster on you and showed no pity when your ancestors angered me, says the Lord Almighty, so now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against each other and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fasts of the fourth, fifth, seventh and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going, and many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, please open our eyes to see what you want us to see and give us ears to hear that we would love you with our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder what's on the menu at your house this Christmas. Turkey? Ham? What about fasting? There's something different. Going without. What about that? That's ridiculous. It's Christmas, you think. Christmas is for feasting, not fasting. You can't celebrate by fasting. You celebrate by feasting, right? That's pretty much the sentiment behind the question that kicks off these chapters. Should I mourn and fast as I've done for so many years? See, for 70 years, the Jews had been mourning the destruction of the temple in the fifth month. And they'd fasted on the anniversary of Jerusalem's fall. This was now the fourth month of Darius the Persian. And Darius had let the exiles return after 70 years and was letting them rebuild. And after a shaky start, the rebuild was now on track. And in only another two years, the new temple would be up and running. Well, given that things were looking up, should the Jews keep mourning and the destruction of the temple and the city as for the last 70 years? The township of Bethel were asking that question and so they sent a delegation down to Jerusalem, the religious centre, to find the answer. Should we keep mourning and fasting on the fifth month as we've done for so many years? Now we might ask, what's the point of mourning and fasting today when in chapter 8 verse 3 God promises Christmas? Because he does. I will return to Zion, he says. And that came to, true at Christmas when God turned up in Jesus. Okay, should we keep mourning and fasting? Surely there's a reason to feast, not fast. I mean, can you imagine the insanity of even suggesting that someone should fast on Christmas Day? Well, if it's not fasting on the menu, what about jealousy? What about that? That comes out at Christmas, doesn't it? Ooh, yes, yes, yes. But in chapter 8, verse 2, God says, I'm very jealous for Zion. I'm burning with jealousy for her. And in fact, that's his motivation for Christmas. Verse 2, I'm jealous for Zion. Verse 3, I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. 
In God's minds, the words Christmas and jealousy go together. So what about a serving of jealousy at Christmas time? Not meaning, of course, the, the jealousy spoken against in the Tenth Commandment. Jealous coveting, thou shalt not covet what other people have. That can happen at Christmas, can't it? It's very ugly. Well, God doesn't mean that. He means appropriate jealousy, which, is, which we feel when others have something that belongs to us, but they've taken, and it should belong to us, it should be ours. The Lord is jealous, rightly, for His people. He's jealous for our hearts. He's jealous for our love, for the whole of us. Because He bought us through Jesus' blood and we belong to Him, as did the Jewish people from the Old Testament bought at the price of the Passover lamb. It's they who God means when he says Zion. He bought them when he redeemed them from Egypt. They were his. Now, question, what does jealousy have to do with fasting or even feasting for that matter? Answer is a lot. In Zechariah chapter 7, it's God's jealousy for us that is behind his answer to the question about fasting. Then in chapter 8, it's God's jealous love that prompts him to spread out a Christmas feast of blessings. Fasting, feasting from jealousy. God's jealous love for us. Why are we talking about this? In Zechariah, we have seen God's big plan, his big plan to come and dwell with us in the New Jerusalem. Last week, we heard that plan involves two figures. A high priest who will take away the sin of the land in a single day. Jesus. And someone whose work would be to rebuild the temple, the people of God, in whom God dwells. The Spirit. We live, of course, on this side of the cross and of Pentecost. Jesus has come. The Spirit has been poured out. He is at work building a spiritual temple comprised of living stones, people who believe in Jesus Christ. But what must that mean for us, for the people of God? That's the question of Zechariah chapter 7 and 8. Fasting and feasting. That's what's on the table. First of all, fasting. The question is posed by a central religious, about a central religious practice. Should we still fast as we've done for 70 years? The delegation were probably hoping for a simple answer. No, no need anymore. Time to celebrate. Time for feasting. But then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, that is not just the delegation, but everyone. When you fasted and mourned for the past 70 years, was it really for me that you fasted? Implied answer, no. And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Implied answer, yes. Fasting and feasting, two aspects of the Jew's religious life. The Lord took issue with it, not with the outward performance of it or even the words that they'd been saying, but their motivation behind it. And you can see God sees right into the heart, doesn't he? The things that they had done had not been done for the Lord. They had been superficial things, things to get through, things you do, but not an avenue to seek God Mourning and fasting over the, over the destruction of Jerusalem should have led to a reflection on the sins that caused the Lord to punish Jerusalem. 
And then a personal examination of oneself. And then a mourning over the existence of that same sin in one's heart. And then a repentance and a turning to the Lord. That's what it was there for. And the feasting should have been accompanied by a recollection of God's goodness and heartfelt thankfulness to him, rather than just an excuse to eat good food. What will happen in your heart on Christmas Day, I wonder? The point is not in the fasting or the feasting, but whether these things were really done for the Lord. And so now, of course, it's not just fasting under the spotlight, it is any religious practice at all. Singing God's praises like we just did, reading the Bible like we just heard, preaching the Bible like I'm just doing. In all of these things, there is a temptation to drift from substance to superficial. And then to think that because our lip service is really good, that the Lord will be pleased with it. The Lord says, isn't this exactly what the earlier prophets had proclaimed? That is, isn't this precisely one of the things that led to the temple being destroyed in the first place? That it was lip service only. Take, for example, Isaiah, Isaiah 58. Let me read it. It's a longer quote, admittedly, but it's right on topic. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Why? Because day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they are a nation who does what's right and hasn't forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you haven't seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves? You haven't noticed. But on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarrelling and strife, and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is, isn't this the, sorry, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice? To set the oppressed free? Sorry. And break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? And then your light will break forth like the dawn and healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then when you call, the Lord will answer and you cry for help. He'll say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. So God was not answering their prayers because they weren't seeking him in prayer, even though they were praying. Did you ever do that? It was all lip service. It was token. And it came out in the way they treated each other. 
because both are linked. If we're hard-hearted towards God, we will be hard towards those God has made. And if we're soft-hearted towards God, we'll change and be soft towards one another. You know, I hear today in our circles the words compassion fatigue um, rallied around and I know what they mean. Every day I get about three or four requests on email for more money uh, for different worthy causes. And so we justify our inaction with compassion fatigue. Well, I wonder what God would say about that. Do you think he thinks we've got too much compassion or too little? So what's the issue? The issue I respect is more of a heart for God than money or the inadequacy of our resources. I mean, resources is an issue. You can't give everything away and survive. But is that really the issue? When we love God more, our hearts grow in their capacity for compassion rather than getting tired of it. We overflow with justice and mercy. And that's the fasting the Lord requires. Verse 8, to administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against one another. Where do those qualities come from? Justice, mercy, compassion, concern for the vulnerable. They are all characteristics of God himself. And so true fasting, the true fasting which which God requires, is that we be godly towards others, like him towards others in the way we treat one another. The delegation from Bethel were the exact opposite, thinking only of themselves. True fasting thinks beyond ourselves. It comes out again and again in the prophets. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Treat people right. Show mercy. Display compassion. Be careful not to oppress the vulnerable. You know, when we desire God, God fosters this in our hearts because we know Him and we love the things that God loves because we love Him. And God grows our hearts in our capacity to love like that. You know, our relationship with God and how we treat one another, they're linked. The question, now that this has been uncovered, is, well, what are we going to do? Israel, verse 11, refused to pay attention. They just ignored him. Worse, they stubbornly turned their backs. They covered their ears. They actively shunned God's word. Worse, then they hardened their hearts. They made their hearts as hard as flint. They would not listen to the law or to the words the Lord Almighty had sent through His Spirit, the prophets. And that's why when they called, God didn't listen. Because when He called to them, they didn't listen. And that's why they were scattered. I find this very, very scary. Um, the thought that you could so close yourself to God, that at your moment of need, when you cry out to Him, He will not listen to you, because you have closed yourself to Him. Isn't that a scary thought? Well, if that's all I'm worried about, of course, um, that's too much of the Israelites in me. Because actually that's me, me being worried about just the consequences of the sin rather than the sin itself. 
And they, all that they were concerned with was the consequences. Uh, the temple had been destroyed. Rather than the fact that what they did was grievous to the Lord himself. That's the issue. When, you're, when you fasted, was it really for me or was it for yourself? This chapter is very searching. It probes deep into the motivation of our hearts. It questions our motivations towards God and our motivations towards one another. And we are left exposed. We are left in need. Who amongst us is faithful in every way? Therefore, it is right to mourn over our sin. That's where true fasting begins. And then it's right to repent and come to God. And to realize not just what he requires of us, but who he is towards us. Because that's where God is taking us. That God himself is our hope. Chapter 8, for a third time, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. And that's why he says, I'll return to her and I'll dwell in her. And then when I'm there, then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city. So now we turn from fasting to feasting. And the Lord sets out eight blessings on his Christmas table, lays them out for us to take delight in. And each begins with the words, this is what the Lord Almighty says. He's accenting, this is a firm promise because the Lord has said it, it's going to happen. The first five are reasons to rejoice, future to Zechariah back then but past for us. The next three are reasons for us to rejoice in now because they speak of things still to come. The first five blessings are reasons to rejoice back then in Zechariah's day. Verse 4, there's the promise that once again men and women will live to a ripe old age in Jerusalem and young kids will play securely in the street. Well, of course, this happened in Zechariah's lifetime. After all the history of that turbulent place had become a city of peace and safety. Secondly, verse 6, something better again because the new temple, it might have seemed marvellous to the Jews, but the Lord says, will it seem marvellous to me? In other words, I've got something better in mind, actually. Something we could be part of. And then verse 7, thirdly, the Lord will regather his people from countries they've been scattered to. He'll bring them back to live with him. They will be my people. I will be faithful to them and righteous as their God. And then fourthly, verses 9 to 13, the Lord will not deal with his people as he did in the past when life was hard and he turned people against their neighbours. Now instead, seed will grow. The vines will produce wine. And just as Judah had been a curse to the nations, now he will save them and they will be a blessing to the nations. Now, in other words, isn't a time for you to be afraid, for you to be paralyzed. Now is the time to work and to work hard, says the Lord, to rebuild the temple because I'm going to be good to you. And that's the fifth one, verse 14. Just as the Lord had once determined to bring disaster on Jerusalem and showed them no pity when their ancestors had angered the Lord, so now the Lord's determined to do good to them again. Don't be afraid, he says, and here's how you should live. Speak the truth to one another. Render true and just sound judgments in your courts. Don't plot evil against one another. Don't love to swear falsely. I hate all this, says the Lord. And this is helpful because it matches how we're meant to live in chapter 7. But now God says, don't be afraid. And so there's been a shift from chapter 7 to chapter 8. Don't be afraid. There's assurance. It's a hint of how God will change our hearts. What's different? What's changed is God's determination to do good, not harm. But did you notice the order? 
Was it, do good first and then I'll favour you? No, no, no. It was, I'm determined to do good to you. So then you do good. Grace first and then response. Obedience is always easier from the heart when you know that God is for you, when you're not afraid. And the Lord's laid out these blessings on the table and he's asking us to come again and look at them and taste them and see that he's good. Five blessings, five reasons to rejoice. But there's another three because for for a fourth time, the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah in verse 18. These are reasons for us to rejoice now because of what's to come. First of all, verse 19, looks forward to a day when feasting will replace fasting because the reasons to fast will be gone. Now, the Jewish people fasted on the Day of Atonement. That was the only fast commanded in the Bible. But then when Jerusalem was sacked, they added another four on the anniversary of the assassination of the governor, on the day people went into exile, on the day that uh, this temple was burned and the city was destroyed because of their sin. Those needs will have gone, and they have gone. Atonement has been made by Christ. And the rebuilding of the temple is taking place now by God's Spirit. But it's not finished. And so it seems to me there is still a a place for fasting in the sense of praying for conversion. But there's time also now for feasting, rejoicing with the angels in heaven when one sinner turns back to God and is built into God's temple. When Jesus comes, of course, he'll transform our hearts. Sin will be eradicated once for all. That will be the day of feasting. But let's not lose sight of the reason to rejoice. One day there'll be no reason to fast, only to feast. Secondly, God promises in verse 20 that the day will come when many cities, peoples, powerful nations will collectively journey to Jerusalem to learn of God and seek the Lord. Now, is that present or is that future? Well, if you understand the rebuild that's happening now as the people of God, then it's whenever someone comes from another nation to a believer in Christ and says, teach me. That's happening already. Thirdly and finally, verse 23, there will be people from all nations and languages who will take hold of the robe of one Jew and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. Here is the final regathering of the nations which Christ himself, the one Jew, will accomplish. He shall gather people from every tribe and language and people and nation. They will go with him. God will be their God and they will be God's people. Fasting, feasting. Well, we have reasons to feast. Much of it is future. Some of it is past. Some of it's now. It brings us back to the question, what's on the menu this Christmas? Well, there has to be a place for fasting. Not false fasting, religious practice without God, but true fasting. Whilst ever sin is present in our hearts, there's a place for this. A heart that mourns over sin, a heart that repents and turns to God. Not just because of the consequences of sin, but because the sin itself is grievous to the Lord. I think we need to spend more time thinking about God. We're very busy, aren't we? Um, We get through our Bible reading very quickly, if we're good, in a day. But the time to actively think on God 
delight in Him, uh, to spend time wanting to be like Him. That's what we need to do. Uh, because then that will change our lives. There's a time for celebration as well, feasting, fasting and feasting. Atonement has been made. The cross reveals God's determination to do good, not harm. And it's right that here we sing songs of celebration as well as songs of confession and repentance. Secondly, true fasting will result in justice and mercy towards others because we'll, we'll long to be as God towards those whom God has made. Showing justice. Now, that does not mean taking the law into your own hands and punishing wrongdoers yourself. What it means is not being overly harsh in treatment of people, uh, letting the system account for things. And, and, and uh, it means, you know, we've got courts for that. Justice in the sense of treating people fairly, not taking advantage of one another, not using people, paying your workers what's due to them. And mercy. Treating people as God has treated us, not holding sins against us, especially in families. Siblings holding sins against one another for decades. Children holding sins against parents for decades. No, 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 no. Mercy. Mercy. We want to be like God to one another and it should grieve us when we're not. What about social action? It's right that Christians be involved in social action. It's right that Christians be involved in our parliaments. It's right that we pray for those who are involved in parliaments. But we do need to realise that laws can only limit behaviour, they can't change the heart. It's got value, limited value, but it still has value. We just need to realise this. Finally, true fasting will mean that we'll take the word in and out. Taking the word in, taking to heart the word of the prophets, which the Lord sends by His Spirit. Taking to heart the word of Scripture, not reading it for knowledge's sake, but reading it with a soft heart that's open to God, taking the word in. Why? So that we can take the word out. It's only when we're changed from within that we'll bother speaking the words of God. When you write your Christmas cards, your Christmas emails, your Christmas messages, what will flavour the message? Well, if you haven't taken God in, it'll just be, I hope you have a great year. But if you have taken God in, there'll be something that comes out. Hopefully it's the Word of God. Hopefully. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to be people who fast appropriately. Who come to you, who are open. And help us to be people who repent and who hate our sin. And long that we would be like you. And help us to spend that time knowing you so that you will transform us in our relationships with others. And thank you that at Christmas we do have reason to rejoice. And we pray that at our tables uh, on Christmas Day, we would remember this and it would be done for you. In Jesus' name, amen.